fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Michael Hawley is in the house. Greetings, Al. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Greetings. So you got like uh, lots of white stuff out there. We two and a half feet of snow where I'm at, so that was kind of in the middle. So uh, lots of snow, and uh, we need it because our buffalo bills just got beaten. We're kind of bummed here. We're sulking. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, what did you expect? Come on, <laughs> no, you know that's the way it goes. And uh, um, to win? <laughs> well, no, that's you don't don't ask for that much, you know. Okay, that's, that's right. pushing it. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's, you should be good to know the, the cold spell's over in the west, so it's warming up. It's rain already, so that should be heading your way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I just turn a switch and it happens. Great, great. It's that easy. <laughs> yeah, you know. That's the conspiracy, you know. You can control the weather. Well, speaking of that, we're on a, uh, on a we have an author today, and we're going to be talking about uh, all sorts of things. Now, this is an espionage sort of spy thriller so uh it's called a fifth of the story and this is dr katherine hutchinson hayes joining us thank you for being here yeah it's an absolute honor i'm glad to be here i'm sorry you're suffering in the snow it is a, a really wicked cold uh 55 degrees here today sorry oh. <laughs> oh, thank you Kevin. in florida well oh yes there you go you know and that's where all, all the snowbirds go in uh this month <laughs> and next month so we'll be seeing you <laughs> yeah, I see. I see the meme of a uh, uh, someone builds a snowman and he's got a little sign, and he's holding a thumb out, right? Because he's got a fake hand with a thumb, and it's like Florida is on a sign. <laughs> oh yeah, he's hitchhiking. Well, so listen, um, what can I say? So, so Catherine, uh, you've got this book coming out February twenty seventh, mm-hmm. and. Um, what led you to write a book about this sort of uh, feel? You know, we're talking about thriller and conspiracy and, and all that sort of stuff. So what, what brought you down into that road? Yeah, so I would have to say it is my it would be my mentor. His name is Cecil Murphy. And originally I had the same title, but I had a completely different book. It was 90,000 words uh, of a book around the same premise. And the premise is that there are five sides to each story. There's one, one there's, there's your side, there's my side, there's what other people see, there are the facts. And then the other part is there what God sees and what he thinks and what he believes. And if we live for that one-fifth, what God sees and what he believes, we'll live a good life. That's the premise. And But then I have all kinds of th- things happening around it, and it had to do with law enforcement. And my mentor at the time who was helping me edit the book would ask me why are you writing this particular book 
and he's asking me, what did I do? What did my husband do? And he said, I don't understand why you're writing this particular book. It just seems like you have the background to write a book where you are shedding light on some of the intelligence agencies that you're privy to. And it just opened up a whole new world to me. And I literally wrote a book on the fly in 10 months. Now, to some people, that may not be a lot of time, or it may be a lot of time. I'm not sure, depending on how fast they write or how slow. But it included all the research, all the interviews for my husband and, and the people that he works with to dig deep and to create this story. So you you had to learn yourself about some of the uh, agencies like CIA and uh, and uh, intelligence and stuff. And I guess, so your husband was part of that, right? He was more DIA. So that's, that. it's like the CIA of the military. So you kind of got a, a lot of first-hand information from that. Um, did, did you have a point to it, but Like, so you're writing this, and you, you sort of said why you're writing it, but when you write the story itself, uh, there's got to be a certain amount of entertainment, of course, and and excitement and thrill and all that stuff in the book for people to to get into. But was there a, was there a meaning to it, a subtext? Yeah. So, so my you know my concern is our democracy in the United States, and I I've been just watching what's been happening in terms of the intelligence agencies and a lot of these breaches, and so. It, my story began with what if, what if someone or people at the very highest level of our intelligence agency who's supposed to be protecting our, our country flipped? What if they flipped against us and, and, and shook the foundation of what our country's built on? And then I began delving into a lot of the, a lot of these organizations uh, that we do have uh, right now in our country which is terrifying, about, you know, taking down our government and, and all of that and how they're so intent on doing this. And I created a, a fake organization that, that infiltrated um, the highest intelligence agencies. But this what if is very much based on things that have already taken place and are currently taking place in our country, which is terrifying. A question, uh, your, your protagonist is Brock? Yeah, Brock O'Reilly. And uh, CIA, now, I'm a retired uh, Navy commander, so uh, I've, I've been in trouble by all these organizations, and I've been in jail. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say too much? No, but I actually am. But what? So I know DIA a little bit, but the CIA, FBI, FBI, like a, an umbrella look, is more the local, you know, in the United States, and CIA is outside the United States. Right. So what you're doing is you're connecting the two? Yeah, so... So it starts off with the, these three friends who all work for the CIA, and they're they're kind of operators. And um, something goes horribly wrong, and when they come back stateside, their director asks them to to consider transferring to the FBI, FBI for special mission. So okay. so that that actually is not uh, uncommon. Even, even though intelligence agencies, for some reason, sometimes don't always play play well together. For some reason, you know, there's disconnect between a lot of the groups. They like hoard their information, um, and they're they're kind of kind of funny because they have their own rules and and, and things like that. But um, 
that's where that's where the story unfolds about this this ups, they're upset about moving from the CIA to the FBI because it's this feeling of feel, being on like you're larger than life when you're in the CIA because they're out like you said before they're outside of the United States they look you when you're in the CIA you're more going out to make sure what could possibly um, be a breach that could harm Americans. So you're looking to protect American freedom out, like outside of American soil. And FBI, you're strictly here on U.S. soil. How do you, how do you create a character like Brock? Like um, for you yourself, um, where does Brock come from? And what kind of relationship do you have with your character? So I have a dangerously intimate relationship with my characters. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so, where, where, um, you know, I'll be at a restaurant and I'll say to my family, oh my gosh, Brock would love this steak. He loves his steak done like this. And my family's like, look, are you talking about one of your book characters? Please don't. But um, they, I mean, they, they've even gotten to know my characters, you know, um, they, they could sense um, if something's off. Like I can sometimes I've read them passages about one particular character and they, they're like, oh, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like something Shugs would say or that doesn't sound like um, this particular character. But for Brock, how I got to know him is I actually sit down and, and create a character sketch. Like I I know um, his, his likes, his dislikes. I know his background. Um, I know intimate details about him so that my writing about him is organic. And when he reacts to a certain situation, it's, it's, he's reacting naturally because I've already built on this foundation that, you know, Brock, he, he doesn't, you know, maybe he's just, he's just an only child. Brock is his parent, his mother suffering with, you know, early onset dementia, Brock's father, such and such. So all of these things play into who he is. And that I so I know my characters intimately, even to how they. Yeah. Well, do you do you hear your character? Like, how about the dialogue? Are you is it like watching a movie for you, or do you actually hear Brock, for instance? I both. It I it is like a movie playing in my mind. How he speaks, um, his 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 voice, what he would say. There's certain things I know that he would say or he wouldn't say. That kind of thing. Well, they're not letting you drive then when you're hearing the no. voices and seeing things, right? I mean, you know, there's nothing, nothing like that going no. on. I hope, I hope they're not letting you drive. No. Could you imagine? <laughs> you know, you get in the car and then you just sort of like hear voices, and then you come out of the car at the mall, and you're like, "Why am I at the mall?" <laughs> so you're because your husband is uh, kind of connected as. Do you ever tell your husband, well, Brock wouldn't do it that way. Well, Brock wouldn't do it this way. <laughs> Are you getting yourself in trouble? Yes, I get myself into trouble all the time. And, uh, but he's been, he's been really, he was really fantastic at that in terms of um, being one of my sensitivity readers. And that's sort of a new buzzword uh, for people. We mostly think about it in terms of if you're writing outside of your culture and race, you would, want to get a sensitivity reader, but getting a sensitivity reader to make sure your uh, material is vetted by a professional for something that you are not an expert of is also a great idea. So he would, he would um, peruse my manuscript to go over a certain aspect of it and say, no, that wouldn't happen. 
um, at all. That That's not how we talk. Or, you know, I had them hugging it out all the time. And my husband's like, no, guys are not going to hug it out. They're <laughs> punch each other or, you know, insult each other, but they're not going to hug it out. And um, these military, these these guys that you're referring to here who are military guys, they don't talk like that or the, this intelligent intelligence agency, these are the acronyms you use, that these are correct. So he was very helpful that way. Well, so in, when you talk about sensitivity then, do you think about the violence that you put in and, and how you write the, the, the action scenes or the the crimes, for, for instance? Yeah. yeah, so I've been told that I don't write like a girl, which I I, <clears throat> I don't know how to take that, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> But I guess it, I guess I'm not I'm really not a chick flick kind of a person. I'm more your action um, thriller kind of person. I'll be the one girl in the movie theater with all the all the guys, you know. So I write I try to write true to form, not to just have gratuitous violence uh, for no reason. It's it's true to the place and time. And for instance, it, op- it the book opens up in a a place where Lots of extremism is happening in in um, outside of our country, and 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 it's it's violent, but it's something that's realistic. There are things that have actually happened that have been described to me by by my husband. And in fact, I think I downplay quite a bit of some of the scenes, not to go overboard. I didn't want to glorify the violence, but I also there's something that needs to be said about the reality of the, the little wars that we fight outside of the states that, you know, people say freedom isn't free, but they, I don't know that they often understand what that entails. Like how many people's lives are put in harm's way? How many people die? Um, civilian, um, you know, contractor, military, CIA, what have you. Um, they die for our freedoms a lot. And, and the the battlefield is is quite violent, and there there are many freedoms and privileges that we often take for for um, granted here in the United States. So it's not gratuitous. Okay, good. Yeah, and it's true. But so when you're when you're in those scenes, there's there's always a, a bad a bad guy, so to speak, someone of evil nature and stuff. So. Do you find it difficult to get into the headset of the of, of the bad characters, so to speak, and write their dialogue and write their behaviors? No, because I I am a trained black belt in Taekwondo. And in Taekwondo, we are trained to consistently see danger all around us. We're consistently trained to, and I, this is not like a saying that Taekwondo is just constantly looking for bad people or bad, or bad things, but it helps. It's actually a blessing. It helps put you in the mindset of possible evil everywhere. So even if I come at, come out of my car and I'm going into an elevator, I have. If I don't have a weapon on me, I don't have mace. Uh, I would. I would. Um, I have my keys positioned in such a way, and I'm looking at everybody in the elevator. I'm saying, if this person tries to attack me, I'm going to do this, and I'm constantly thinking of who. Who could attack me? How I'm going to defend myself? And I'm and and so you think worst case scenario. So it makes you get into the head of the bad guy. Just what? Just like if you're in a taekwondo fight, if you're in a battle, 
you have to put yourself in into the head of someone who could possibly be trying to kill you. What are they thinking? How are they trying to come at you? Why? What, why are they so desperate? And so you have to kind of take on that persona in order to defend yourself. Well, expect the unexpected. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, so in this particular story, did you have your your characters, your main characters first, were they were they what you came up with, and then you put them into the situation, or did you have this situation kind of, you know, this scenario planned out, and then you created characters to go into it? No, I knew my characters first. I had my three main characters first, and then I had an idea of the situation, and then everything came after. And then there were some characters uh, later that became louder and louder, and they became so um, centralized that they're now going to, they're, they're now the star of the my next book. So that was interesting. So you now that these characters are telling you what to do, uh, you know, not only are they <laughs> telling you how to drive, but then they're telling you what to do. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Can we can we make sure your husband's still okay and alive? <laughs> you know, just have him come on camera and he can nod yes. If he needs help, just put up a finger and. You don't have a freezer in the basement, do you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't even have a basement. Uh, no. Oh, well, oh there you go. <laughs> it's all filled in. You know. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Well. So you said you've already got like a kind of, so I guess that's kind of what's coming up next. You've kind of already got a sequel. Did that just come naturally or did it, did it build out of these characters that became strong? It built uh, on these. It was completely different from what I planned. I actually started on the next book, which would have taken up exactly where I left off from a fifth of the story and went right into the next scene about what was going to happen to that set of characters but there was a there was a character that was became so interesting and she wanted to be heard that i had to tell her story and so that's what ended up happening so that other story is still on the back burner it, it will have to wait well are you creating a um series bible then too are you going to have like a little book that you keep track of everyone and and the things that kind of they go through and who they are and what all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I have hundreds and hundreds of pages of backstory, of facts, of research. And um, I actually have in the in the works five books, you know, so a fifth of the story. I feel like it'll be really wrapped up if I, if I do all five books. You're going to town here. Um, so now you're setting. Setting. Do you write the setting that where they're doing these things? Do you make that a character itself too? Yeah, that almost becomes a character itself. That's such a great question. Um, it 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 takes place where a lot of our intel hangs out. You know that whole Washington D.C., Virginia, Maryland area, and um, the time of the year and the season where it's written. It's really dreary, and so you you get a lot of the rain and it. it becomes it it has become its own character the setting now now at the end of the book like when you go through this uh you said 10 months so the whole experience of putting it together and checking and writing and doing all that stuff and and that um you kind of live through your characters as you say too um when you're writing it so the things they're going through you go through and you feel and all that and 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 the tension and all that stuff how do you think something like that changes you yeah, another wonderful question. You know, tragically, 
uh, writing this book, I had two horrible things happen. Um, I my my brother, who's very close in age to me, and we're very, we we're very close as siblings. He he died suddenly. He died suddenly of a heart attack, and that completely unexpected. Yeah, and 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 actually, one of the characters in my book is loosely based on him. It's, and he knew it. He he just loved that. He could. He just couldn't wait to to see it come out. And then eight weeks later, my mother died of COVID. And it was it was such an unreal time for me. It was such a time of heartbreak. But I really learned to really become an author who was dedicated to the process, no matter what happened. And and the night my mother passed, I. I poured myself into that book. I think I wrote the best chapter in that entire book, and it's it's um it's all in there. So so I can tell people could they wouldn't be able to tell. Oh, her mother died, but it's so laden with rich um, emotion. I didn't want to waste any of that, and I poured it into that novel and into that particular chapter. What do you hope the the reader gets out of it? I'm hoping that the reader what they will get out of it is that they will see how important it is to have rich relationships, to be loyal, um, to be authentic and transparent. And also, it also speaks about um, division. And it speaks about sometimes the lack of unity that we can have in, in relationships in, in our country and our, our government and all of that. And, um, it talks about racism, all the isms. And I'm hoping that someone can walk away from it feeling that there's hope. That if I, if I follow through and I am, if I continue to be like, I, I look at Brock, Brock and he's like the great friend. If I can be more like Brock, if I can be more like so-and-so in, in, in my book, I can possibly live a better life with all the odds they had stacked against them. I can live a better life. Catherine, question. Uh, you talked about extremist organizations. Do you uh, get into the mind of an extremist to try to get your readers to kind of almost understand where they're coming from? I do. I do. And that's that's pretty scary. But Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that's pretty terrifying. But it, it, I went back to... Even looking at cults and looking at how cults are built, looking back at um, people like Hitler, um, just looking to see, seeing the most extreme um, organizations and, and things that were built on heinous hate. And how did they get people to, you know, to sign up for the things that they signed up for? But these people were charismatic. They drew, uh, they um, drew in people who su were suffering. They identified with them. They were, they were on the ground with them, and so they were endearing characteristics by about many of these people that we look at as wicked and heinous um, for starting some of these movements and organizations. But there's still something endearing about them, and it's still, there's still, you still give them. If I'm building uh, this pretend organization or this, this villain, I have to still make my villain likable. And they have to have characteristics about them that are that you can identify with and you can understand. And so for one of my villains, 
you can see why maybe he would gravitate to the organization that he, he gravitated to. And you begin to see why people could start to buy into an extremist um, set of, set of uh, thinking in an organization. So like why people drink the Kool-Aid in like Jonestown. Yes, it's exactly. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting area how people get so involved and wrapped up in stuff and in their in their world they believe something. Were you were you sort of a little bit hesitant or did it sort of make you think when you were writing this that you wanted to be somewhat cautious being that it's such a um let's say um heightened time in, in America, you know, with things like this going on? Yeah, and so I never want to be divisive. I always want to come come and present a unifying factor and say I, I want people to look and see, see, look, hate is never going to win. Um, division is never going to win. Let's look at the things that we're doing and let's see if we can bring it back around for our um, our betterment. So it yeah it can be dangerous. You you just don't want to get um, uh, you don't want to get to the point where someone feels like you're you picking a side or you're being too political or something to that effect. But at some point, if you want to make a statement, you you do have to pick sides. You have to pick. You have to err on the side of good or 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 evil. Right, of course. And I think that's it. It's not even picking a side. It's just doing the right thing. You know saying saying the right thing it just you know uh choices are are that way you know um well it's interesting so what brought you into the writing world have you been this is your first book i believe right this this is my third book my first book was um was a self-help christian living bible study book called god's little black dress for women how to put on the full armor of god without losing your femininity and then um my second book is a collaboration with other writers. I was the editor on that book. It's called Focus, 45 Devotionals to Keep Jesus in the Picture. That was just released in December, December 14th. So this would be my third book, but this is my first thriller. Is there, is there something you always wanted to do, you think, was, was be kind of a, a writer in the fictional? I always had it in the back of my head to be a writer, but I started out in education. I was a principal for years and I got very sick. And then after that, my husband had to be deployed and then we had to move to um, a base. So during that time, I had to leave my job. And instead of taking a new principalship, my husband, he said, well, why don't you take this time to explore writing? You've always loved to write. I used, I wrote a column for a magazine. I was one of their associate um, editors. And he said, why don't you just explore writing? I know how much you love writing. One thing led to another. I began doing some writing here and there. And every year I kept on building on, building on it and building on it. But it, what it hasn't been until I would say the last five to seven years where I got very serious, began taking in a lot of conferences. I also began teaching at conferences because I had this educator background and that came natural to me. I began speaking. I began doing lots of editing, lots of guest magazine uh, writing. So my, my, magaz my magazine writing really took off. And then I just decided to 
definitely pursue the, you know, authoring a book. What makes a good book for you when you're reading it? Well, if it's fiction and if it's thriller, which is my favorite, it's got to be the kind of book that keeps me up at night where, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing dumb stuff like, you know, I turn on the flashlight uh, app on my phone and I'm, you know, I'm reading it at night, getting in trouble with my husband. That's a sign of, of great fiction. So <laughs> it's, it's at the, every chap at the end of every chapter, like I can't wait to find out what's going to happen next. And I'm really invested in the characters. I think about the characters there. I, I think about how well written I, I, I always I'm always looking for um, plot holes, but if I can't find any, that's intriguing to me. And then for nonfiction, if non it's nonfiction to me as well is very much the same way. I feel like good nonfiction needs to tell a story and needs to captivate the audience and hook me. And so, what 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 do you think is the biggest challenge about writing a book like this? So for writing writing a thriller, it's to keep the momentum. Some of my I, I wrote some beautiful chapters. They were really wonderful. But in reflecting, going back to, and looking at them and working with my editor, I had to agree that they didn't progress the story. They were well-written. They were beautiful. They told a lot about my characters, but they didn't progress the story. They didn't, it, it, I could possibly lose my reader. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted my, my reader to skip meals, call in sick for work, all of that stuff. So I, I had to make sure that it was action packed and it was well thought out and that even my subplots would work out. And, and then there's a lot of um, moving parts. Even when we were talking about the action, like even fight scenes, like I, you have to make sure that those make sense. Um, the place and time makes sense that um, you are not, you're not creating a new, a new personality for your character, that they are consistent to who they're supposed to be. So all of those things have to be done artfully. And it's, I think it's a lot harder than we, we realize until we actually start doing it. So your antagonist has, uh, is basically sometimes wins the battle in the story that they, uh, it's, they have to go through those trials. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In, in my story, it looks like the it doesn't. It looks like it's hopeless. It looks like my antagonist is going to completely win. <laughs> oh, you should have an alternative ending where they do. <laughs> well, you know, the, this action thriller um, genre has been real popular lately. Do you have a favorite yourself, or any of the action shows or, or writers that you really get into? Writers that I get into, uh, I love. Um, there's a, an author called Kirsten Moglin. Um, she is, I've met her a couple of times at Killer Nashville. She is just a phenomenal writer. Um, she's indie published, but she does it really well. She's won a number of awards and she writes really fast, but, she, but really well. Um, another author, uh, I absolutely love is Diane Mills. She's the queen of romantic suspense. Uh, Lynette Eason. I also, I'm a, I'm a, I'm also a Stephen King lover. I'm a James Patterson lover. I love Ted Decker. Um, there's, there's so many that I, I oh, there's, um, Stephen James. He's, uh, he's one of my favorites. Um, I just finished his, well, I just picked up his book, Synops. It's really incredible. It makes you really think about AI and thrill, thrillers. Oh, that's a whole different level. I guess another thing to think about, I, I, you've got to keep things fresh as you go throughout the story. Like you said, keep it going and keep 
keep building. You think you can do that with five five books? I can because the I have to tell myself to stop writing. You see, like even my second book, um, I I wrote so much. I have to. I'm now in the process of cutting it down by um, like ten thousand words. You you become so invested in these characters and in the story that the story becomes addictive. And I constantly talk about, like, I miss, right now that I'm in the editing stage, I really miss writing, just writing about my characters because it's a way of me being with them. I'm hanging out with my favorite peeps. Even the bad guys, I, I, I started to like them, even with their bad. Ah, so there's a little bit of uh, evilness in you, I see. <laughs> <laughs> well... No, isn't it, isn't it true? But I mean, with your bad characters, your evil characters, the ones that are doing things that are not right. Um, if you explain them enough, if you flesh out that character enough, um, a lot of times you learn why they do the things they do, or what what is it that they see, how they see the world. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it actually is healthy in a way because it it opens your mind up to. Have empathy for other people and see how how they got where they are. That it's not by accident. It's by how they what the kinds of things they started believing, watching people they started hanging out with, and that's why it's so important for you to guard all of those things. Your, your, what you listen to, what you who you hang out with, what you prescribe to. You have to be careful. Like your members, the members in extremist organizations. Is that what you're kind of talking yeah. about? Mm -hmm. How they got there. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's, and I have to also think, think to myself that I'm not above that either. That if I, if I wanted to be completely one-sided, I could definitely, um, fall into that trap. I'm grateful that I, my undergrad was, was um, English. And in that was quite a bit of journalism. And as journalists, we were trained, um, not to watch like for, to just fact check um, information, not to prescribe to just what one political party was saying, what one particular news station was saying, to really go and check the facts. And I cannot tell you how helpful that has been throughout my entire life because it helps you to never have this one-sided idea of how things are. I don't have a problem looking at BBC, Al Jazeera, Fox News, ABC, MSC, all the C, all the alphabets, and looking at uh, the news and the world from a variety of perspectives. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, it's how you find things out, you know. So listen, are you doing social media? Do you do a website? Um, do you like readers to come and interact with you? Oh, I love readers to come and interact with me. Yeah, I have a website. I have all the things. I have Instagram. I'm I'm heavily involved in Instagram and on Twitter. I mean, X. <laughs> What's your website? Um, my website is real simple. It's just my name. It's www.drkatherine.com. Well, fantastic. Okay, so now we're going to have that up as well as uh, your book and everything so people can find it with one click. It'll be on our website. So that's amazing. Well, we appreciate you being here and, and and talking about your new book and the world. So, and the new book is called A Fifth of the Story. 
Our guest is the author of that, Dr. Catherine Hutchinson. Hayes, thank you for being here. Yes, it's been my pleasure. It's been an honor. I respect everyone in this industry, all writers, all podcasters, radio interviewers. Oh, my goodness. It's lots of work. I run a podcast, and I know how much hard, how much work you put into it. Nice speaking with you. Good speaking with you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.